I'm shot already. I'm ju- I'm just here. Got on the subway this morning. Plenty ample time. Mm-hmm. And you start getting hit with that delay. Oh no! That mm-hmm. just slow. You know something's up. I know mm-hmm. the I know the schedule. All right. You I know feel how this is supposed to go. Yeah. Also, you're just standing there and the doors open and you hear that crackle. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to figure out something up out there, and you're like, no, <laughs> trapped underground in a midway. Well, what, what no, was it this morning? You're not, do you it, know? There was a power outage oh, okay. on the trains, and they're going. Wait, you're gonna, you're gonna have to get out of St. George. We got a power outage. I like the impression. Like, Please, no. This is gonna require now running, and this is one of those situations where every second that. It's taking the delay because they got to turn trains around. Mm. I'm just thinking about how I have less time to run mm-hmm. from St. George to the studio right. at Bloor, yeah, Bloor Youngish. Yeah, I'm going. I can get this done. I can get this done. <laughs> I've done this before. I've done this once before where I ran to the studio. I can't remember from where. I think it was like Bathurst, but that was middle of the day. I used to get mm. there a little bit earlier. You guys ruin my mornings a lot, and so I need Actually, to have my. <laughs> space right between mm-hmm. you guys like I can't come in as early as I used to yeah. because you guys start peppering me with all of your bad ideas and or by the time ruined. I step in here it's like uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to sift through the fog of it but there is nothing more terrifying in this industry outside of I guess maybe being fired or saying something <laughs> incredibly dumb then that makes sense being trapped underground on a subway knowing you can't communicate to people that you can't get here on time. Because mm-hmm. that is very much where this isn't the J.D. Bunkus podcast. This is the J.D. Bunkus radio show, is that it starts at 9. <laughs> like, yes. We are on the air at 9. <laughs> and not hearing from me and having me come in here scrambling. We used to have one host here that would show up basically every single time slightly late for his show or right at the buzzer. And it was infuriating as a producer. It was so, so difficult to deal with. And mm-hmm. he would always cite the same thing. There was traffic. And you'd go, Just yeah, leave earlier. D- duh. <laughs> <laughs> leave duh. earlier. So that's, that's the thing about being late. You just don't have, even if I say to people, well, I was trapped underground. There was nothing I could do. They go, you could have. Hold on. What? Left earlier. That was your guys' oh, cue. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Man, you guys are with it today. Good morning. No, yeah. I was going to say you could Uber, Joe. Yeah. yeah. No, you <laughs> no, guys. Uber. No. You know how much longer that would have taken? Yeah, yeah it would forever. Yeah. I, you I thought ran, you meant to like, work today. No. Oh. I, it just, by the grace of God. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> right as I was approaching that, ladies and gentlemen, we're take you exactly where you need to go. I was like, there you go. And then I went into my local coffee establishment where they have the most hectic coffee routine yes it is nuts (laughs) there's one lady that does it every day she's essentially the Mm -hmm. coffee queen Mm -hmm. they have dubbed her lord of the coffee which makes no sense because her system is grade a horrific (laughs) every day i stand there and i look at her and i go this is the day where i tell her this is the worst system ever she's basically trying to collect as many coffees at once to fill, it's a busy place, right. okay? I understand. It's not easy. People right. are stressed like me going, hey, I need that. Like in the morning. I need that wake-up yeah. nectar immediately. Wake-up nectar. And you are slowing me down from getting into the studio. Now it's your fault, right? Let's mm-hmm. get efficient. Let's get efficient. Mm-hmm. 
but she'll stack all the cups together. She'll push them all, and she'll just start doing them, like, one by one, and then she'll, like, mix up the orders, and I go, oh, that's terrible. I ordered mine before those people. <laughs> this is how a society functions, is I order, and then my order comes before the people behind me, not... You fill up all the cups, <laughs> and then mine suddenly gets just shuffled off to the back, and I'm standing there looking at it as all the numbers that are behind me start shuffling forward. I'm going, this is unacceptable. Yeah. This is wrong. And I don't know how this, other than the fact that she's out there grinding every day, mm-hmm. like every single day. She's got to be employee of the month from the standpoint of just consistency, right? Remember yeah. when I told you guys I had to share athlete of the year in grade seven because oh, that guy yeah. played every single sport? That's she's tough. that. <laughs> she's that to this this operation where she's just showing up yeah. every single day so they go, we have to give her the coffee duty. She's been doing it every day. She's got to be better than the rest of us. When Legitimately, if I was running that place 10 minutes in, that would be my first point of duty. Hey, we got to get the coffees doled out immediately. Yeah. Uh, anyway. in, in the right order. Yes, in the in the right order. You order something, that's the that's in the name. First pay, first order. serve. It's in the name. <laughs> order. I want order for my order. Uh, man, I am so I, – I told you guys that I had a little dip. I had a little dip away from F1. Mm-hmm. All the sports came back. I was red hot for F1. And then I watched, once again, the greatest series on television, Drive to Survive. Mm-hmm. ahead of this year's F1, and I deep dove again, and I got right back in it. And I've been so stoked ever since, and you know me, I just get on the articles now, and I'm watching all the races. I even missed some March Madness wow. to watch this weekend's wow. race. Put it on the primary screen because... It got primary screen privilege. It got privilege. primary screen wow. privilege. You know it's big. When... It is big. You know what else is big? Our next guest, Will Buxton, the voice and face of F1 coverage, award-winning broadcaster, writer, and commentator. Good morning, Will. Thanks for doing this, man. Good morning. How are you? I am well. I am extremely well. I'm so excited to talk to you because here's the thing about living here is I either have friends who know nothing about F1 or I have friends that are the biggest diehard hardos about it that if I ask them any question, they're like, ah. All right. Well, that's not really how it is. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I, I'm really hoping that you're a bit more patient with me today and that this is going to be fun. I got to start with uh, not Red Bull. I got to start okay. with what's going on with Mercedes, man, because from an outsider's perspective and as somebody who learned this sport through Drive to Survive, which is all built around the drama, I yeah. see Lewis openly complaining about the car. I see Toto saying that he wants basically a couple of years from Lewis Hamilton before he might leave Mercedes. I see Angela Cullen leaving the team and Lewis going, oh, she's going to pursue her dreams. And then Toto saying that it was Lewis that wanted her gone and has for a while. Is this as dramatic as it seems to me, the outsider who cannot wait to see the behind the scenes in the show? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good answer. It, it, yeah, it, it is, but it's, it's almost unimaginable that this team, which has completely dominated and defined the last decade of the sport, could be left floundering and confused by the regulations and create a car that isn't worthy, that doesn't give, you know, arguably one of the greatest drivers, actually, no, inarguably one of the greatest drivers that Formula One has ever seen, give him the means by which he can fight, not just for race victories and championships, but even for podiums, it's a massive shock to everyone in the sport and to everybody at Mercedes as well that they've taken such a step away from the genius and the brilliance which we'd all started to take for granted. 
So what what is happening here for them then? Like what what is the scuttlebutt essentially around why they can't com- like that they can't put together a competitive car? Because this is like another year where it, it's it doesn't appear like they're even close to Red Bull. Yeah. So essentially the technical regulations of the sport changed in 2022. And normally we have had technical regulations all the way through the history of the sport and and they've always been an evolution of what's gone before. This year into 2022, for the first time, it was a total tear up the regulations and have a completely blank sheet of paper. Nothing from the cars before were relevant to what they would have in 2022. So it was designed to kind of be a start afresh. Everyone's got a a fresh chance. But at the same time, they introduced a budget cap. And in the past, teams like Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull would throw $500 $500 million plus at a season. They can't do that anymore. It's limited to, I think, $135 million now this season. So they've got to learn how to use less money. And then on top of that, there's a sliding scale of how much time they can spend developing their car. If you're the, the worst team in the sport, you're allowed more time to develop your car than if you're Mercedes or Red Bull and you're winning the championship. So they've got less time to develop the car. Mercedes made a wrong step with their original plans for the car last year. They thought they'd done something genius, done something brilliant. And as it turned out, it was a roll of the dice that went completely wrong. Now, as the championship winning team from the year before, they've got less time to work out those problems. They've also got to do it with about a third of the budget that they would have done it with before, because normally they just throw money at the problem. Can't do that anymore. So what you have is this perfect storm whereby... They're trying to make up for a mistake they've made, but they don't have the time or the money to do so. And that's why they're in this this, this sort of problematic situation that they're in. On the flip side, you have a team like Aston Martin, who last year finished seventh in the World Championship. They'd never had the money before to compete with a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari. They've got a new investor in Lawrence Stroll well, a new owner in Lawrence Stroll, who's got more money than God. And (laughs) all of a sudden, they can hit the budget cap because they're having to play up to that budget cap. They're the kids in the candy store. They got more time than the big boys because they finished seventh in the championship last year. And boom, they're there. They're on the podium. So it's this bringing together of the sport, giving the small teams the chance to rise, making it more difficult for the top teams to stay competitive. And all of that is kind of closed it up, created this this perfect storm whereby Mercedes are really struggling. And yeah. they didn't have the capability to take last year's car and go, right, well, we'll just chuck that in the trash and start again. Because again, they don't have the money. They don't have the time. And they're struggling. Yeah, they're really struggling. And yeah, of course, the thought of all of these regulations was to bring the field closer together. And I guess that's worked from everybody from two down because Red Bull seems to be fine. <laughs> yeah. They've built yeah. the fastest car ever. And this is what I don't really understand about Mercedes. And yeah, you know, I think you laid it out very well, but this has to add to that frustration. And this has to add to that tension amongst their group is, you know, you have a couple of seasons, it's like Mercedes, what, won eight titles in a row, right? That's yeah. eight titles in a row. You're just the king of the mountain. You're used to just bullying everybody. And we we get introduced to the sport, a lot of us here in North America at least, where it's through the lens of, hey, it's 
Red Bull and Mercedes, and these are rivals, and this is so fun. And then we have the race the other year where it's just, hey, they win the drivers on a contentious finish, and but Mercedes still gets the constructors, and then they get this car. And now Red Bull is just beating the brakes off of them to an embarrassing fashion where you're going, oh, my God. Uh, you Toto has that line at the end of the series from two seasons ago where he goes, everybody has a target on the back. And it's like, uh, everybody has a target uh, on the back. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I bet you wish you could hit the old delete button on that one, Toto, because it is tough times. But what do you think? How does this transpire? Because Lewis Hamilton does not seem like the kind of guy who's going to stick around in a losing race car for very long. And I, it's hard for me to envision him going somewhere else, especially given that Red Bull is so dominant at the top. Does this end up in a potential early retirement for him? It could do. It really could do. And, um, yeah, I, the, the, the most astonishing thing to come out of Lewis was after the very first race where he turned around and said, I told the team and Oof. they didn't listen to me. That's, that's huge because that shows a, a level of discontent in Lewis that he'd been warning the team about this. He said, don't stick with, 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 the, with the concept, do something different, and they didn't. And you don't hear that out of... I, I don't think I've ever heard that out of Lewis, to, to publicly question his team like that. It's, it's, a, it's a real sure indicator that, that, that things aren't as rosy as they've been in the past. Does that mean that Lewis has lost his, his motivation, his drive to win? I don't think so. He's one of the most awesome competitors in any sport that I've ever seen. But every sport has eras of domination. Every sport, you know, like great empires, they rise and they fall. And you see it year after year after year, the same team's doing well. And then they drop and they fall off. You know, I think Premier League in the UK and, you know, the years when I was a kid when it was all Manchester United you know, and then they just made one mistake or one bad signing, which led to another bad signing. They got the wrong manager in and then they just dropped off. And since then have been fighting to get back anywhere near the competitiveness that they, they had before. And the same thing is true for, for Mercedes. One small mistake, one slight misstep, and it all starts to compound. We are where we are. Is Lewis going to retire at the end of the year? I don't think so. But how much more time will he give Mercedes? It's a it's a huge question. And he's driven with a Mercedes engine in the back of his car for his entire time in Formula One when he was at McLaren as a kid. He had a Mercedes engine. He's been backed by Mercedes for his entire career. Do we think he's going to end up at a Ferrari, a Red Bull? I I can't see it. It's yeah. I just can't see it. Well, I don't think he's ending up at Red Bull because then that's conclusive proof that the Verstappen is better than him. And and that's well, a, that's if he, a tough well, one if too. he beats him, if he beats him, yeah, you know, that's the thing. And wouldn't Lewis love to go up in the same car against a Verstappen and prove once and for all, I'm the best? Ooh. Because the only barometer you have is against a driver in the same car. Yeah. That's the only time you get a fair barometer. But would Verstappen want it? Would Lewis want it? We'd all want it as fans. And let's be honest, if Lewis Hamilton is on the open market, there isn't a team in Formula One that isn't going to kick one of their drivers to the curb and get Lewis on board. I hadn't even considered this possibility because I thought the, the, that part of it, that Max would never allow it, and they would, as a Red Bull team, go, why, why, what is our incentive for this? We're already finishing one, two podiums anyways. Massive so. marketing yeah. potential. But yeah, you're right. Money. <laughs> oh, right. More money. That's always good. Teams, I've noticed. Selling more cans of drink. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all that's, about. I've noticed people like it, money. And so I could definitely see. That's actually kind of a sweeter outcome. Because the way I kept looking at it is, all right, well, what else does this guy have to prove? If I'm him, I want to actually get out of the race car early as possible 
possible if I can't be finishing at the top of podiums anymore because you, all you're going to end up is having the recency bias, the year-over-year year stacking where Verstappen is better than you. And people go, well, how could we consider him the greatest of all time when he went head-to-head with this guy who may have beat him with an inferior car and who basically started his air of dominance across from him? So, yeah, I... Damn, that could would be imagine, great... Could you imagine? Could you? Look, I don't I think it's ever going to happen right in a million years. But but could you imagine Lewis Hamilton moves to Red Bull one season as Max Verstappen's teammate, beats him, takes his eighth world championship, drops the mic, walks off into the sunset, yeah. and we never see him again? Like that <laughs> for fans of the sport, that's it. You know, that's the the absolute golden egg. But I got chills. Is it gonna? Is it gonna happen? I can't. I can't see it, but man, I'd love it. It would be amazing. It really would be amazing. And to be honest, I think it would solve a little bit of F1's problem, which is Red Bull is too dominant. They built the fastest car again. And last year, at least it was Ferrari making these um, decisions that were really costing them. And people thought that they may have had the fastest car, that they had better pace. It's pretty clear this year that when Verstappen's starting 15th in pole and he's finishing second, that they're just going to dominate this field this year, barring some kind of a disaster for them. Do you think that F1 likes this? Because they clearly have their best guy at the very top in Max, one of their most marketable guys at the very top. They get more Christian Horner. Um, fans are at least interested heavily in that group. There are interesting stories that we are going to get to down the line. But the goal of these regulations, as you mentioned, was to bring the field closer together. And yet, as someone sitting here, it, it feels as far apart at the very top than it ever has. I see where you're coming from. But these regulations take time. This is only the second year of these new regulations. It's going to take three, four, five years until we really see these regulations taking hold and creating the closeness that we all want to see from the sport. Because Red Bull, again, this year, they've got less development time than anyone else. And actually, they've got less than they should have because they spent a little bit too much money in the first year and were found to be in breach of the budget cap. Yeah. I'm sure we could possibly get onto that, but how long have we got? Yeah, as long as you want. <laughs> uh, um and so, um, you know, look, Aston Martin will have more development time this year than Red Bull and already have a car which is comparable at times to that Red Bull. Could Aston Martin outdevelop Red Bull this year? There's a possibility. It's not a definite, but there's a possibility that they could. And so as the years go on, if Red Bull finishes top again this year, they'll still have less time than everybody else next year to develop their car. So theoretically, then everyone else gets to bunch up and gets closer to them. And the longer you have a steady set of regulations that don't change from a technical perspective, the closer all the cars get to one another because everybody can figure out what works, what doesn't work, and you get closer and closer to the absolute ceiling of performance. So, theoretically, in a couple of years' time, we could have a scenario where everyone is really close together. And also, you know, the, the entire field at the moment in the first section of qualifying is covered by what? A second? Mm -hmm. A second and a half? I remember growing up and the front two rows would be covered by three seconds. Like the field itself has never been as condensed or as close as it is right now. I remember Damon Hill winning the Australian Grand Prix by two laps. And that was the mid-1990s, you know. It's, it's not like it was in the past. But the sport has always, always had eras of dominance because you get these perfect storms where the best driver 
naturally gravitates to the best team. But then the best engineers, the best mechanics, mm. the greatest minds in the sport gravitate to that team as well because they all want to work with the best driver or they all want to work with the best engineer, uh, the best designer. And so you get these perfect moments. We look back at the early 2000s, Michael Schumacher and Ferrari. I remember he won the world championship my first season in Formula One. He won the world championship in June. What the hell did we talk about for the next six months? <laughs> you know? like, that was crazy. But there's still within this, there is the, and I think one thing we might hold on to if it's going to be an era or, or a year anyway of Red Bull dominance, no team has ever had a perfect season. No team has ever won every Grand Prix in a Formula One year. Mm. No, the only team which you could say possibly did was Alfa Romeo in the very first year of Formula One back in 1950. But, the Indy 500 was part of the world championship back then and they didn't even contest the 500. So they didn't get the perfect every race, but they won every theoretical Formula One race that year. And again, you want to look at, 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 at you know, eras and generations and the rise and the fall. Formula One starts in 1950. You couldn't beat Alfa Romeo. Now, Alfa Romeo can't get themselves, you know, up into the top 10 most weekends. It's, uh, it's, that's the, the beauty of the rise and the fall of this is, is those eras where one team is... You look at McLaren. You know, a team which I grew up with, they were the dominant force. Ayrton Senna, Alain Prost, Nicky Lauda, you know, the McLaren gods. Qualifying at the back of the grid at the moment. You look at Williams, you know, Nigel Mansell, Damon Hill, again, Alain Prost. Now, back of the grid. It's the rise and the fall, and that's the constant thing with this sport. Well, I love a dominant champion too across all sports because it adds to the stakes, right? There, there can be those lulls that you mentioned with the Schumacher years. And, and that's just like anything where you go, what are we going to talk about? Because this team is so incredibly good. But then when that team meets a rival or someone is able to rise to their yeah. level or they're on the decline, those are the most important moments for us in all of sports, right? That's yeah. where all of a sudden the stakes matter because it's a legacy moment. And that's what I find. So I, I don't want to, that's the difficult part, I guess, a little bit of what happened to Mercedes is that it really did feel like when they split that drivers and constructors, you went, what a moment this is for the sport. Now they're changing these rules and regulations. Now we get to see who is just the smarter team and who is the better driver. This is going to come down to, yeah, not money, right? Because nobody ever feels as great yeah. when they're watching sports, when it just comes down to money. Same thing with like baseball here. If you buy a championship that, or you go into luxury taxes and basketball, whatever. But that one, we just didn't end up with that second year. And it's so disappointing seeing Mercedes in this spot. And it doesn't feel like things are going to change. And Red Bull just nailed it so incredibly well to build the fastest car. And again, have Lewis commenting on it, where it seems like all he wants to do is throw barbs. Every single day I open my Twitter feed and it's a different complaint or uh, something from Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I just, I can't believe Red Bull was able to do this, especially considering, so you mentioned it, the, the way that these rules go and teams having less time. But if you nailed that car, this is the way that I'm understanding from the, uh, this from you. If you nail the car year one of the regulations like Red Bull did, then it gives you a huge advantage over everybody else because they're still trying to figure it out. So then what the hell happened to Ferrari? Because it seemed like they nailed the car last year and it was just the strategy. They fired their team principal. They bring back the same drivers. And yet the car this year just isn't as quick. Yeah, so here's the thing with Ferrari. They realized last year, car was quick in the corners, not so great on the straights. Half of that was the fact the engine wasn't working and they had to turn it down from about a quarter of the way through the year right to the end so it, it wouldn't explode every weekend. Yeah, And the good. other one don't was the, the, the design. Yeah, don't explode. Yeah, it's yeah. like route, route one. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a big and, don't and explode the other part. <laughs> I, think, I think the Ferrari drivers are as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the other part of it was... It wasn't fast enough on, on the straights because of the aerodynamics. So they changed a little bit of the aero on the car this year to 
make it better in a straight line and they would sacrifice a little bit through the corners. And Saudi Arabia was going to be the absolute race for them to see if it if they'd done the job. Mm. Because that's last year where they were super, super fast through the corners, lacked on the straights and got overtaken by the Red Bulls. And they were behind Mercedes in Saudi Arabia. So they've taken the wrong direction. Now, in years gone by, again, with unlimited budget, Ferrari would have thrown money and time at developing a, a variation of different directions that they could take with the car. And then they see which one would work. The smaller teams, they had to decide which direction was the most likely to work and just, just go with that one. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, they could have five, six, seven different directions and just, just test unlimited in the wind tunnel and throw money at it and see what worked. Now they can't. Ferrari, like the small teams in the days of old, have gone down one direction. And now they're looking at it and thinking, you know what, we might have actually gone down the wrong direction with this. So they're going to have to rewind and go down a different direction. But then they're limited by time, by money and by all this. So again, you see these big teams starting to drop back, the teams at the back starting to move forward. And that's where you're going to get this melee, this kind of... Um, like hot pot of 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 everything mixing together in the in the middle. That's that's the hope. Anyway, that's the intention. Do you remember in your life when you had your first friend who became a doctor? Did that ever happen to you? Um, no, no? None, I don't okay. think any of my friends are intelligent enough. Okay, to well, that, that's the thing. That's not doing my no, friends no, no, no. Disservice. But that's that's yeah. the thing, though. That's the thing. I, I have friends who became doctors, and it was a real humbling moment for me where I went, "What? <laughs> like that's." possible you guys could get in because every time I would go into a doctor's office right I had this real feeling of these are the best of the best of us and they really know what's going on and they'll take care of me and then all of a sudden my friends started to become doctors and people I knew and I would get to know doctors and go okay so this isn't as perfect a system as I had once hoped it was this F1 is doing the same thing for engineers for me where a lot of my friends are engineers and I'm always felt really stupid around them. I go, I talk about sports. I, you guys are out here building <laughs> bridges. I don't know what, how it is you even do it. I, you can draw, you're smart. Now I think about these engineers and they go, we had a fast car and then we couldn't make it fast anymore. It's where Ferrari is engineers. And I go, my friends must be idiots. <laughs> they must be the dumbest engineers ever. This is a real humbling moment for all engineers knowing that it is this difficult okay so positive story of the year though so far is fernando alonso this is okay oh yeah I, I was really excited to talk to you about this because again this is something where i just i can't understand it through the lens of someone who is a later in life f1 fan and a north american sports fan who watches things where we have tom brady who is just the the top of the mountain when it comes to longevity in professional sports we now have lebron james who's doing the same thing we recognize that athletes now are able to stay at their peak for longer or at least stay at the level where they can be competitive. And now we're seeing Fernando Alonso go into this car, which is obviously very fast, but last race, his teammate Lance Stroll finishes seventh, much younger. He seems to be getting the best out of the car. He's been brilliant through these first two races. And and I'm just curious, how big a deal is it that the sport seems to be getting younger. Every single year I'm watching this, they're trying to find the next driver, the next driver, the next driver, put someone younger in the car, younger in the car. That a 41-year-old is seemingly still at the peak of his game in the sport. Is, is this an anomaly? Is this a huge deal? Like, what is this to you? In the modern era of Formula One, it feels like an anomaly. 
again, if you look back to the yeah. early years of the sport in the 50s, Fangio was in his 40s when he made his Grand Prix debut, um, you know. But in the modern era of the sport, with the physicality involved, it does feel Fernando has always kind of broken those perceptions. I mean, Lewis is almost in his 40s. This is in his yeah. late 30s now. 38. And it just shows, I think, how 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 brilliant these guys are from a sporting perspective, from an athleticism perspective, that they are able to keep themselves in that window and still be the benchmark for the younger drivers. But, I mean, look, you look at you look at Brady, you look at, at everything that he achieved with the Patriots, and then he, you know, then he moves to Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, you know, still competitive and pulls that team around him and does sensational things. It's kind of like Fernando going to Aston Martin, who weren't really up to much, and then, bam, arrives and magic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they have brought in the right people. And those people have gravitated to Aston Martin because Fernando's there. So they've pulled people in from Mercedes. They've pulled people in from uh, from Red Bull and have created this brilliant car. I think a lot of us thought when Fernando went to Aston Martin, he's just gone for the money, you know, because Lawrence Stroll's going to pay him a fortune to go and drive what is ostensibly a pretty bad car until he retires, like Sebastian Vettel did for the last two years. But no, they've invested wisely. They've brought in the right people. And bam, suddenly, here's a guy still at the top of his game, age 41, and is pulling in the results every weekend. And it's... It's honestly, it's brilliant to mm-hmm. see it. It's absolutely sensitive. It's such a great story. Well, and for our audience, for the context, Vettel retired at 35. So, yeah, I, it feels at least uh, noteworthy that he has been doing that. And look at you. Like, the the NFL Europe and the UK games, have they, we've been rubbing off on you, hey? Like, you got yeah, the football yeah, down, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. I know where Tom Brady was. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong Seahawks fan, so... Hey, uh... me too. <laughs> no uh, way! Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge Seahawks oh, fan. I was man. very, very there pleased by go. seeing the game in Germany, and I'm very, very nervous about the draft and uh, what they're going to do yeah. and kind of getting pinched out of... Uh, the player that I really want, I was going to ask you one last question about F1, but is that you want the floor for some Seahawks takes? What's been on your mind? What do you want to ask me? <laughs> no. Seahawks fan? No, you don't want it. I thought maybe I could return the favor a little bit and you could go, none of my friends want to talk to me about the Seahawks. You can hit me well, with they, a take. They, they, they don't. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like growing up as a kid. I remember we had all mm-hmm. the, you know, the NFL first kind of got big in the, mm-hmm. in the UK in the eighties and nineties. And all the kids had like, they were like the Miami Dolphins bags or you'd buy like a, uh, a Detroit Lions bag or, yeah. uh, you know, or, or Buffalo Bills or, or that. And I was Seahawks. Yeah. And I was yeah. just ridiculed because I was a Seahawks fan. And so in recent you years, it's been good to be yeah. a Seahawks fan. 100%. You know? Finally. We got finally. a Super Bowl. You could look at all those yeah, exactly, loser exactly. Bill fans and, that and, made fun and, of you. And hideously, <laughs> hideously lost. Yeah, exactly. Super Bowl. You know, uh, and, and, and and the the hilarious thing was I got to interview Tom Brady at the Canadian mm-hmm. Grand Prix a few years ago, and it was just after Deflate Gate mm-hmm. and all of that nonsense. Did you and, stick it to um, him? Were you like, I knew you cheated to be my well, beloved so, Seahawks well, my, cheater? My, my open uh, for the interview was, yeah. well, ladies and gentlemen, the Canadian Grand Prix is always a, a wonderful occasion with so many celebrities visiting the race. And as a lifelong Seattle Seahawks fan, you can imagine my joy to be here right now and to be joined by Mr. Tom Brady. Tom, how are you? And that was literally how I opened I love it. it. I love just, it. This towering man yeah. looked three feet down on me and was just like, yeah, this is this is going to be fun. So yeah. Was, yeah, that was that was good. I yeah, that. that is sweet. That is very, very sweet. 
I, is it t- too tall and too handsome combined with that resume. Oh, it's like, how, isn't do even, too, how do you even feel like a human when you're around handsome. him? Yeah, like it's, you must have just yeah. felt like trash where you're like, ugh, I, <laughs> this is a very yeah, cool moment for me, but don't yeah. don't take a photo of us together that I, anyone can see but me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. I'll keep this it's from my office. And I'm as like I'm as tall as his knees. Yeah, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, well, it it was a real pleasure having you today. Uh, I always love getting the chance to chat. Thanks so much for making the time and uh, yeah, letting me talk a little F one today. Real pleasure, mate. Real pleasure. Take care, man. Go Seahawks. Uh, there's Will Buxton, the voice, the face, F one coverage, award winning broadcaster, writer, and commentator. Yeah, very exciting to have him on. And that's that's the thing is I, I understand that. Back in the day with F1, obviously you would have kept drivers around until they were older, right? But now look at the average age of these drivers. Sebastian Vettel was completely washed. There might be, this might be a situation where Lewis Hamilton isn't the best driver on his own team anymore because Mm. of his age. He's finished behind George Russell in the last race. He's finished behind him many, many, many times. It doesn't feel like a complete fluke like it does with Checo when mm-hmm. he ends up beating Max Verstappen in a race, feels like, okay, this is kind of the way that things might be going here. Part of that might be Lewis just not being in the right mental space with this car, not trusting the car, as he said many times. Mm-hmm. Part of it might just be his health. He mentioned a lot in the last season, like the physical toll it did take on his body. But this is what I can tell you youths, all right? I could still beat the both of you at anything on your best day and on my worst. Like, there's no doubt about it. Try me. But I, I would feel no. beat. No. Go I went go-karting, yeah. go-kart racing the other day. How'd you do? Second place. Nice. Yeah. First nice. in my group. Dab Second me up. Place. There we go, there buddy. Go. Way to go. Nice. Second place. Thank First in my group. There was like little kids there. <laughs> yes. It was a 10-year-old Pete, birthday party. Pete got in because he's so short that they nobody even said yeah. anything. They oh, were just like, go in there, little boy. And he went, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so he just rolled on in. But the physical toll that it must take on your body as a 37-year-old last year, 38 this year, when it was yeah. doing the porpoising thing, where it's just like bumping up and down and mm-hmm. screwing up mm-hmm. your back. And I know I call Lewis a complainer sometimes because, like, frankly, he is. Like, he's a complainer. <laughs> They're all sort of complainers, but he gets he gets more of the complainer stuff because people want to know what he's actually thinking. Yeah. Nobody really cares what's going on in the Williams cars with their drivers and they're mm-hmm. complaining too, but it doesn't make headlines. It doesn't if make national headlines. Yuki Sonoda is complaining about his car. It's just yeah. not the same thing. You'll see it every single place for me anyways, who's got his algorithm now and Instagram geared up for F1 wow. and many Twitter followings and also reading the stories, right? Cause you Google F1, you go in, you read them on ESPN, wherever. Yeah. And it's, headlined by Lewis basically mm-hmm. everywhere. So it does get a little, it, it does make it seem like he's a bigger complainer than his peers when in yeah. actuality, no, it's inflated a bit, bro. They are all complainers. <laughs> Do you guys watch the season of drive to survive this newest one? I haven't watched it. I'm okay. the first one. When, when he was talking about, um, Red Bull going over their cap, it was like half a million dollars, maybe less. $400,000 yeah, for catering. Awesome. $400,000. They claim it was for catering. I don't know. That didn't seem confirmed. For but catering. Either, but he, well, yeah, also four hundred grand for catering. That's insane. It's like, I know catering's expensive, but what are y'all doing? It's not doing? 400 grand. What are y'all doing? No, no, but obviously they're stacking this yes, up over yes. the year. But I'm just saying, could you imagine? What, what are you guys up to there at Red Bull? If they, if, hey, here's what you know. Red Bull ever has a catered event and you get to go, you better go. <laughs> you better go. You got some Wolfgang Puck situation happening there yeah. where you're getting, you're getting served up. Anyway, um, 
the complaining seems higher, but you can see it in the sport is that mm-hmm. it is a complainer's sport constantly. They're complaining with the rules officials. They're complaining about the cars. They're complaining about the drivers. They complain about the other team principals. They're all uh, bitching about each other constantly. Yeah. So I don't think Lewis stands out as some kind of crazy outlier, but yeah. you did hear him complaining about his body last year. And that's what I think about with Fernando Alonso mm-hmm. is that here's a 41 year old guy who's in this race car, who's still able to put himself. I think we just think about it like, okay, he's just in a car and the car's going fast. No man. Every single bump that he ends up taking, they have a crash. They have something that actually throws you off. You're 41. Now your yeah. rate of recovery just is not the same. And yeah. so seeing this guy, if he can continue this and finish third, because that's what I think is the best case scenario here. I know it's he early in third. the season. Yeah. That's yeah. because well, Red maybe he finishes second <laughs> as the driver, but it's even hard to see that. Yeah. It it really does feel like Red Bull's finishing one, two. Yeah. That the leap Aston Martin has taken this year is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And it's good to know, too, from Will, the the way that this is working, because it, it, it could be a little bit hard to understand for a casual like me who mm-hmm. is trying to learn the sport a lot about how exactly these rules are working and yeah. why one team can be so dominant like Red Bull and how Mercedes can fall off because you still think in a sport like this, okay, sure. There's a cap, yeah, but we're talking about, it's not chump change here. Yeah. These guys aren't like, Oh, million. we got to skimp on engineers. Hopefully we can find a couple of good ones. You know, they, <laughs> they're getting some, they're yeah. spending some dough. All right? It's still a pretty expensive sport. Yeah. Smart for the owners of these teams. They're like, cool, the sport's exploding, and now there's a cap. Yeah. So now we have to spend less money on the cars, and we've got more viewership than ever. I can make more money off of it. Yeah, seems pretty sweet. Oh, and we've got Netflix making the greatest hype machine (laughs) known to sports right now. Seems like a good time to have bought. Like, uh, my guess is that uh, Lawrence Stroll is not, what did he say, more money than God? My guess is (laughs) is that he will continue to separate himself from God (laughs) when it comes to his finances. Pretty sick. Yeah. Anyway, I'm curious to see if he can hold up through a season and how this is going to look and whether they can he- keep him healthy in the car, whether or not he's going to be able to drive as risky when mm-hmm. you are on the edge and you are trying to maintain a championship, but you also know that the physical toll of a mistake can hamper you more than it might hamper some of the other drivers. It's pretty yeah. fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Like, I actually really care about this story. I am mm-hmm. super interested in this. Like, remember last year, Tom Brady, what was one of the biggest things? He wouldn't hang out in the pocket and he wouldn't keep taking the hits. Yeah. Will... Alonzo will end up doing the same thing in his sport. What are you going to yeah. say before we go to Roberto? Uh, only Joe. six out of the 20 drivers are 30 or above in the current yeah. field. Every, it's, everything's under 30. And one is Lewis. Uh, one's Lewis, Kevin Magnuson, yeah. Sergio Perez, Botas, Nico, and Alonzo. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Then the rest of the 16 are all yep. like kids, essentially. <laughs> yep. And there's, so there's two relevant guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, three. But that's, how many are 40? One. One. Fernando yep. Alonso. Exactly. The, the closest is Lewis. He's 38. 38. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty impressive stuff. Can't wait to watch it. And I also, please, please, Netflix and Mercedes and everyone, don't deprive us of what is going on behind the scenes. Because you heard the excitement in his voice where I was like, is it as bad from the outside as scenes? He's like, yes. <laughs> he was waiting <laughs> to say so it. so bad. These guys it's horrible. are losing it. <laughs> they are not keeping their composure. By the way, I screwed up yesterday with my Will Ferrell reference. Yeah. Keep your composure is old school, all right? But I... Unfortunately. What did I say? Did you call oh, it wedding crushers? Was, no, 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 no. no, no. I, it's... No. <laughs> 
What? No, no, no. You, you, didn't, you didn't reference Wedding Crashers. No. You referenced yeah. something else. I said it was Step Brothers, yes. and I corrected myself, said it was old school, but actually it was, it was Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. Yeah. You know, and, uh, oh, Twitter mentions I'm not got perfect. on. Getting yeah. old, JD. Getting you know, old. That, Pete, that's fine. You just screwed us. No, that's fine. <laughs> I am getting old. I have to try harder. You know, that's just it. I'm Alonzo. I mm-hmm. need to try harder. Need to make adjustments. I need to lock in, and I need to take this more seriously. I got to get on the TB12 diet. <laughs> if you're I Alonzo, more avocados. <laughs> you're nothing. Uh, you guys are unknown. You're on. We are interns. Yeah, you're, interns yeah, exactly. in the paddock. <laughs> you're, you're just holding the trays as I'm coming by. That's what you're interns doing. Interns in the paddock. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Ooh, I don't know if uh, let's this gonna get overstated, but damn, is it worse for the Leafs than it seems? Next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. I got my best bet from Botano coming up here in a second. It's been pretty cold, honestly, since I started this, which is really disappointing of me because I've been really good with my betting <laughs> lately. You're just un- unlucky on the best bets. Had a lovely Cavaliers-Celtics parlay yesterday that hit. Mm-hmm. I had Keegan Murray over 12 and a half points that hit. Nice. Had the Leafs. Oops. Oh, boy. Yeah, Whoops. that one didn't work out as well. Good for one period, at least. Yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> Good for one period. 20-minute uh, yeah. champions. Hit the spread on the Flames against the Ducks. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just get, keep giving out the the loser. I think we've got two wins only on the show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tough time. And the worst part was Leaf scored first yesterday, and I went, nice. Mm-hmm. This one, these guys will take care. They were flying in the first period. They were yep. looking great. Anyways, you were telling me that uh, the the Islanders fans were getting after me yesterday. <laughs> yeah, on the Islanders Twitter I, found I just need it. to say this. I respect Islanders fans a lot. The building was jumping. You don't need, don't cut this. Don't give them the satisfaction <laughs> of ever knowing this. I will but not cut this. That building felt full last night, and it clearly wasn't. Mm. They would flash to the stands, and you'd go, there's a lot of empty seats in here, and it's raucous. And Mm. remember, when they left the Coliseum, everyone went, this piss-stained building (laughs) that that it had soul, it has heart. I was actually reading Bourne's book, which, by the way, go get Bourne's Mm. book. It's so good. I finished, I literally read Bourne's book in two and a half days. Cover to cover, couldn't put it down. Extremely great, like solid awesome read mm-hmm. and i know he's my friend but i'm just telling you that it's very relatable it's very good um yeah i'm actually gonna tweet about it later today because i really really was impressed and i know he's again my friend and i've already read him many times i'm a fan of his writing but i was mm-hmm. it is pretty impressive to see somebody be that vulnerable and put together a story and his stories and his life was entertaining so uh yeah no i really enjoyed it but the point of that is he obviously is the son of a New York Islander, and mm-hmm. he mentioned the first time where he actually got to go as an adult to the Coliseum and their dressing room and how horrific it was <laughs> and how bad the facilities were. So, yeah, they got out of that building, mm-hmm. but that building did have a bit of a soul. And when they were leaving there, you felt like, man, these are Yahoo rowdy fans. And last night they had the same thing. They boo Tavares in the face-off circle and they yeah. cheer when he loses yeah. it. They were just giving it to the Leafs. They're doing chants. Yeah. And I'm thinking this has... It had playoff atmosphere. This has, as you say, the vibes. <laughs> this the has the vibes. I just, I tipped the cap. I really did. I, I tipped the cap to those Islanders fans. I think that they gave them a boost in that game. Mm-hmm. And I think they mattered. And I like the idea that I picked against the Islanders and they're so petty. Their fans are going back, <laughs> seeing a best bet by Batano and going... 
this age like milk, just mad. They're just <laughs> yeah. still mad. You won the game and they it's go like three and a half hours later. Idiot. Way to go, idiot. I love that. They yeah. remembered. They filed it away. They're petty little people. Yeah. And it's good. It's competitive. I like petty little sports people when it's fun. And that seemed really fun last night. So yeah. I, I, I respect it. Anyways, I'm going to talk to Jackie Redmond, my friend, about this in a few minutes. So I'll, I'll save more thoughts and mm-hmm. get hers on it. Because I hope those Islanders fans never forgive Tavares. We did that John Tavares Day thing here, which still to me, listen, I love Dangle. I love Wild. Those are my guys. But I thought that was the cringiest thing ever. I'm like, this guy makes $11 million. He's the captain of the Maple Leafs. He just said a kid. His life is fine. <laughs> Him getting booed by the Islanders is not like he's like, yeah. <laughs> and if like, he I'm is, sure he's doing fire okay. him into the sun because <laughs> he has the best life, right? <laughs> so I, I don't care. I hope they boo him forever and ever in perpetuity because that's what makes sports fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I still hate to this day the way that we have just forgiven Vince Carter and we gave him 48 million hours of commercial time throughout Canadian sports yeah. networks going, remember how sick Vince Carter was. Well, he was still getting ovations. Like, I remember no, when, he, too when, much. when he played for Atlanta, he would yeah. come back. No, and then every time he anyway. came in, people would give him a bigger no, cheer than the no, Raptors. No, I, I, hate <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Okay. So to close off a leaf thought, and maybe I'll get into this more later. And I, I do want to talk about Trout Otani and the World Baseball Classic. I'm just going to do a lot of that with Ennis tomorrow on Good Hour. Mm-hmm. So I didn't prioritize as much. I did see the end of the game obviously, and yeah. it was brilliant. It was spectacular. And I'll have a few more thoughts on it later today, but then, yeah, mostly deep dive into some stuff with Benny tomorrow. So the Leafs are five and five in their last 10. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I got into it with Sam yesterday on Leafs talk because I, I think that my buddy there was just zagging. You know, sometimes it's just, it's, it's not fun to meet anger with anger in sports. And I was a little frustrated last night because Okay, two things can be true. I think the Leafs are still better suited to win playoff games than they were before the deadline, Mm -hmm. right? But what did I say when the trades happened? I said, everything is now on the big boys. I I don't care about some of the turnover or some of the players they brought in. I think there's a lot of expectations for Jake McCabe to perform well. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, to me, he's looked pretty good. He's clearly one of their best six guys. And when you're talking about the trade itself, the idea that you got him and Sam Lafferty and that McCabe, I believe, is going to be making $2 million for the next two seasons. That's a great trade. Yes. I don't care if the Leafs lose in the playoffs this year. I don't really care what happens. It's very, very hard for me to envision a scenario where we look back on that particular trade that Kyle Dubas made and go, that was really bad. That was a really bad trade. They didn't pay all that much. It's a late first-round pick. For a guy that can play in their top four, unquestionably, two million and a depth center, and and, yeah, exactly, and is on a cheap, controllable contract now, moving forward. Yeah, awesome deal. I still think yes. Again, the Leafs needed to change some of their complexion, but one of the questions was, did they do too much? Mm -hmm. And bringing in Ryan O'Reilly, when you bring in an older player, and I know it's a fluke, it's a finger, but he had an injury earlier this season, and that's what happens. Again, we mentioned it with uh, Alonzo, is that you're more likely to get hurt the older you get. That's just a fact. Recovery time is not as quick. Um, It's not even just that they're five and five, which is whatever, because the team racks up points this year. They deserve to be graded on a whole. But lately, the team has not looked very good. And last night was especially frustrating because they just were making stupid mistakes. Mm -hmm. And what do I always say? People get mad in regular season games when they project outwardly to the most important games of the year, right? You either have a year where you suck all season long and you just go, I'm so sick of this team just sucking and doing the same crappy stuff and players not living up to expectation. But when you're a playoff team and you're a really good team and you have a lot of expectations, 
people look at the mistakes that you make and the losses you have and project them forward and go, this is the way that they could lose. So if it's a night where there's really bad goaltending, people in this market get pissed off and afraid Mm -hmm. because they're terrified of once again having the worst goaltending. Yeah. When the stars disappear for games, they get terrified because they remember that if it's not the stars that get this done, the bottom six has never really been reliable at providing a ton of secondary offense. Yeah. So people get afraid. To me, the one that does get lost sometimes with this team is those boneheaded mistakes, which have cost them so many times. People Mm -hmm. used to think it was like, oh, this is a Jake Gardner thing, and now he's gone, (laughs) so don't worry about it. Oh, it's Alex Galchenyuk. He was a temporary piece of the team. Don't worry about it. He's gone now. The bad man is gone now. Oh, it's Alex Kerfoot making a mistake. Well, he's playing too high up the lineup, but that's how these things happen. And I really do want to see a tightening of the screws from the Toronto Maple Leafs heading into the postseason because nights like last night, when you're playing an Islanders team in a raucous building, it's your captain's former team, he's getting booed, and you just lost, or sorry, you got outplayed badly to the Ottawa Senators. You found a way to win that game somehow, <laughs> miraculously. Yeah. I want to see you guys care a little bit. There's a human nature part of this where you say, hey, the team knows who they're going to be playing in the first round. They are trying to avoid injuries. There's going to be a little bit of coasting. They're going to probably try to save their best bullets until they get right there. They're on the precipice of a really tough series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But given the fact that they're still shuffling their top defensive pairings, given the fact that they're still looking at different players in their top six, that we're still not going to be sure who Ryan O'Reilly is going to be playing with come playoff time. Yeah. Given the amount of turnover here, the fact that they don't know conclusively who their starting goaltender is going to be game one, we think we know, but I don't think it's conclusive. (laughs) I would like to see some tightening of the screws and some attention to detail where it matters because you're trying to give your coach good information right now. Sheldon Keefe is some... Man, people can rip on Sheldon Keefe all they want. I've done it in the past. That guy is as prepared as it comes. Mm -hmm. He is as detailed and as focused on this team as he comes or as they come. He's not an older coach who's been around the league for a million times, is burnt out and is kind of half-assing it in some places. No, this guy, by all accounts, is captain details. Every detail matters. Something from Bourne's book, when Bourne would put together little scouting reports for Sheldon Keefe, if he made mistakes with grammatical errors, Keefe would make him go type, retype out the stuff that would be put on the board. Wow. wow. Because every detail matters to Sheldon Keefe. This guy is obviously taking all of this stuff seriously. He's not just juggling these lines like the rest of us idiots do where we go, you know, yeah. I think that they should do. It's not just like pulling names out of Sam hat. there because he's yeah. fast. <laughs> like, that's not what they're doing here, okay? Yeah. This is a lot more complex. It's not cracking, it's not splitting the atom, mm-hmm. but it is, uh, there's a lot of detail that's going into this. Yeah. I think the players owe it to the organization and I think they owe it to their coach to make sure that the minutes that they're being put together, that they're doing their damnedest to give them a best picture of what it is going to look like heading into the playoffs. And I'm just going to say this because Tullock came on yesterday and he referenced those numbers about the shot share and all this different stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think that the natural inclination is for people like me who have been advocating for more eye test stuff from this Leafs team, more toughness, more attention to details, some of the things that can't be quantified. Yeah. There's a natural pushback to some of those numbers to go, oh, shut up, nerds. The nerds just were so sad about Pierre Engvall even, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Here's the actual facts of the last 10 games. The last 10 games, their Corsi 4 percentage 
they're in the bottom 10. Okay. So mm-hmm. are the New York Rangers. Mm-hmm. So it's not a perfect tell all catch all stat of this team sucks. Yeah. Their goals for percentage. Bottom half of the league. Mm-hmm. Expected goals for same thing. Bottom half of the league. I thought this one was particularly interesting scoring chances for bottom third of the league Hmm. high danger chances percentage for second last in the league ahead of only the Montreal Canadians. Oh, behind the coyotes and the Blackhawks. Uh Oh yeah. That one hurts in their last 10 games. That has been where they've been at. So I'm just saying here that, Even if you look at their PDO and you go, well, JD, is this like maybe some flukishness? No, they're like dead even on PDO. Mm -hmm. That that number is saying, no, this is telling the story of who they are lately. And so I don't think that this team has earned the right to walk into the playoffs and be playing this kind of hockey. I think that they are going to have to tighten it up. I'm not asking for them to be playing their best puck every single night. You know that that's not going to be a realistic situation. There's 82 of these games. They're going to have some up and downs. Nylander's in a bit of a slump right now. Tavares in a little bit of a slump right now. Mm -hmm. Matthews has been taken off for the most part, looking way better. There's some good with the bad here, right? They've gotten some solid performances from Samsonov. Last night, his head obviously wasn't in it. He's having a kid. Austin sent it to (laughs) us. He went this clip. He's like, oh, my God, you hear this? He's once. I'm like, do you know? He was uh, (laughs) that's that's what he meant. Uh, He sent it to me like it was a doomsday scenario. Like, this is troublesome. I was like, nope, it's fine. Uh, anyway, either way, there are some positives with this Leafs team. I really like Nolachari. Yes. But, boy, it has been, there has been some, there's been, been some tough sleds. It's been, lately. A it's, just, it's been It's been a little worse than I think people have been acknowledging it. And this marketplace is such a horrific spot for freakouts. And we've done that before. We've done so many chicken little things. Yeah. And you really don't want to look like the ass that freaks out about this group and then watches them go deep into playoffs. And it's like, because yeah. they lost some regular season games. They were five and five after they made a bunch of trades at the deadline. All I'm saying is, is that these trends are not great. And there's probably been a little bit more bad than there has been good lately. Anyways, it's time for... Best bets brought to you by Botano, our friends at Botano, the 2022 global sports betting operator of the year. What a book. What an awesome book. Again, looking at it today, looking through all the offerings, trying to figure out what my bets are, and boom, I'm coming across a million different offerings for every single sport that I want to play. Last night, same thing. My brother and I were using it, and we were trying to make some bets for that Kings game. We had all these alternate spreads for these points for these players that we like to mention, the Keegan Murray thing. We thought about teasing it up. We thought about teasing it down. You could do that on Botano. You could bet that just straight. You didn't have to put it in a bet builder. So nice. Mm -hmm. And... We just ended up playing the line that it was offered pretty much everywhere <laughs> so because we the liked the 13 and a half because we just talked ourselves into the fear of paying the extra juice. And thank goodness, because he barely got it. He had a couple of threes called back on a couple of different plays, which is super strange. But tonight, there's only two hockey games, mm-hmm. and I like both the favorites. Um, I would not be parlaying them just simply for the fact that the Edmonton Oilers are minus 476 money line favorites to the Arizona Coyotes. Seems like a little bit too much. Don't line the total in that game, but again, it's six and a half right now, and Botano is minus 161. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with two teams heading in the opposite direction, which is the Colorado Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And again, mm-hmm. I won my bet on the Colorado Avalanche, so I'm going to stay hot. I'm going to stay at the table. I'm going to keep rolling the same number. I'm going to say that the Colorado Avalanche, that they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. And okay, so there's a couple reasons for this. One, Penguins mm-hmm. have lost four straight. Yep. They're an older team heading into altitude. 
And I would like to think that matters just like a touch, that that's a little bit of a something that the older team isn't going to have that. Um, And it's also Nathan McKinnon playing Sidney Crosby. And I would think that that still matters more than McKinnon than it does to Sid's. Penguins are a playoff race. They're a desperate team. They just had a really tough loss to the Ottawa Senators. But I I do wonder, um, yeah, whether that's going to wear on their group a little bit. I just don't think they're nearly as talented. Now, I will say there's one little caveat here, which is that Nathan McKinnon is day-to-day. And so if he doesn't play, I would like to scrap this. Because I also like the Dallas Mavericks tonight at home against the Warriors who have the greatest home in a way, record discrepancy oh, in the NBA. <laughs> and But again, it's Luka and Kyrie Irving. And that's what makes it tough at this point of the day is that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough to sometimes give a best bet when we don't have all the injury information. But as of right now, I'm locking that one in. I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's take a quick break. Uh, that was Best Bets brought to you by Botano Sportsbook. The game starts now. It's basically constantly starting for me because I'm always on Botano. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jackie Redmond next. Hey, it's Ben. All right. Went a little long that last block. Got a little hot. Understandably so. Well, that, but also my, uh, I got the, (laughs) I got the antennas up for what the Leafs are doing right now. I was pretty chill for a while going, who cares? They did all the things I wanted. They traded Engvall. They traded Sandine. I was right. Everybody was wrong. I was the only one saying it. I'm pretty sure that they might trade Sandine. It was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. They need defensive depth. Bunkus. I said, mm, I don't know. I could see it. Somebody see even it said he was an integral part of the team. Some people, less intelligent people than me, definitely. <laughs> Although I will say that there is something kind of funny about a lot of the Swedish players going in the tank right when Rasmus gets dealt. They oh. love that boy. Yeah. <laughs> they love that fella. Except for Yarncroc, who's been, he's been pretty dialed in. He's been one of the positives, I would say, from the last 10 games. Anyway, Jackie Redman, NHL Network, NHL on TNT, WWE, all of the different things. Global superstar. Good morning, Jackie. What's up? Uh, good morning. Happy to be with you guys. I feel like it's been a minute. It's been too long. I do, you know, I just got to ask this mm-hmm. because it's been bothering me all year long. JD, you know, I listen to your show all the time. I listen mm-hmm. to Leafs Talk. I listen to Real Kipper. And Bo- I listen to all of the Toronto yeah. shows. So you listen right? to the good to ones and the bad touch. ones. Got it. Okay. Good ones, bad ones, everything in between. Because, you know, I'm in the States. I, I, I'm not as dialed in on the Leafs as I, as I was when yeah. I was living in T.O. Yeah. And forever here in the States, it's been yarn croak, okay? Forever. Yeah. And all season long, I hear yarn crock, yarn crock. Like, did this guy come out and say it's yarn crock? Yeah, they because did. Because people a... here still tell me that it's yarn croak, and it's driving me bonkers. First of all, you are, this is how you tell a true professional between... Like when people go, sometimes I'll get tweets and they'll say, oh, you're a journalist. Huh? And I go, nope, not at all, actually. Not even, <laughs> not even really like loosely adjacent to one. They, not close. And some people are journalists and they really put the attention to detail in and make sure that they've got pronunciations. But I'm pretty sure I do have this one down because at the very beginning of the year, the Leafs put out a thing on social media that was, hey, meet the new guys. And one was Kale Yarn Crook. And I went, that is a sweet name. And I like the way that he says it. <laughs> Kent Pete, yeah, Yarn Crook. Yeah, Kali Yarn Crook. Yeah. So what have I been saying? 
What, did you have it right? Was I doing it wrong? This is, again, one of those situations See, if, where if, now you've if, confused my stupid brain going, have I been saying this right all along or have I been wrong all along? Will I ever say it right again? Well, here's the thing. The way you were telling that story, I was expecting you to do your impression of him saying his name, Yarn Crock. But Yarn the way Crook. that you said it is Yarn Crook, which is Yarn Crook to me. Um, <laughs> but I will say this. I mean, all, if, if everyone in Toronto is calling him Yarn Crock, so I yeah. feel like, I mean, that's your team. I'm going to trust you guys. But, like, yeah. I go on the air and I say Yarn Crook. Like, I'm defiant. Like, i got to tell you, though, <laughs> it, the, the level of insanity for a person to be tweeting at Jackie Redmond going, you're getting Callie Yarn Crock's name wrong. That That is just a level <laughs> of fandom that even for someone like myself who has made a career off of being a fan of sports, it's just a step too far. Like, I can never imagine. Also, do you know the level of confidence you would have to have to correct someone on that? Like, you better be Callie Yarn Crock's dad. <laughs> you better be oh, yeah. his opa. <laughs> because if you're stepping up to me off the street and doing that, I am immediately checking i am that is one like i don't like to engage in sports debates with people usually now uh with my friends that i watch sports with all the time absolutely but every once in a while and i know this has happened to you because i've seen this happen to you in bars where people kind of like try to test your sports knowledge and i go oh my god i would do anything for a button where we just fall through the floor right now and disappear from this place what it would i would pay for this button and and that happens to me from time to time and people go they they want to test me or they, they think this is their break or whatever, and you go, oh, my God, this is, this is the worst way to approach it. But one thing is debate, no. Correcting me, I'm checking. <laughs> I'm checking. <laughs> I might pretend I'm not checking. I might say in the moment, oh, that's cool, or that's just your opinion or whatever. I, the, you better believe I'm taking a bathroom break 10 seconds from when that's happening, and I'm down there scrolling like, we'll see about who's Kelly Young Crook. Yeah, we're down there well, grinding. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, it was a beautiful thing in my career when one day I realized that I knew that I knew my yeah, crap no. and I was like, I don't even care anymore about proving it. Like there are actual people in this business who wouldn't even want to have this conversation in a lighthearted manner because they think it would like somehow ruin a bit of their credibility. Whereas I'm yeah, like, dorks. I know what I know, so I don't really care. Yeah. Like this is not going to define my legacy as a sports broadcaster no. that I'm debating whether it's yarn crock or yarn croak. In fact, I would argue that people that are aware enough and confident enough to have this conversation, I think further, um, uh, what's it called? Further um, back up their credibility because they're able to have this conversation. They have the confidence to be like, is it crock or croak? Because honestly, I don't know so, anymore. <laughs> there's there's a couple things here. One is nobody likes making mistakes. I uh, actually no. for, let me let me start with this. There are people out there that go, it's disrespectful to get it. No, it's not. Okay, it's it's really not. It's <laughs> not that disrespectful. I have a weird name, and I don't get really upset when that okay. happens. Like you know, it just it it it's a part of the biz of living in a different country than where your name originates from. All right, people are gonna yeah. get it wrong forever and ever and ever. And yeah, I'm sorry, but I watch every single sport, and I have to learn a million different names. So every once in a while, when I get a name wrong or I pronounce something wrong in journalism school, they would teach you in sports like that's the cardinal sin. You can't get that. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah, you couldn't get that wrong if you're reading a highlight pack, right? If you're reading a highlight pack yeah. and you have a production team, it's just one of those things where you're going to make a mistake. You're doing this regular conversation. You're going to mispronounce a name every once in a while. Who cares? Not disrespectful. The person that says that's the case is kind of, again 
being just way too. Find a hobby. Find one place to put your energy <laughs> outside of whatever it is that you think you're doing, defending the millionaire hockey player's name that you're getting wrong slightly. But two is, um, yeah, no one likes to make mistakes, but yeah, it's part of what we do. And once you start yeah. to accept that it's fine to make them and that you're not just doing them all the time and you're not making them because you're just sloppy, you're not putting in the work, then I think that's that's where you get to is what you're talking about right now, yeah. which is you get to the point, and this is any career, right, where you say, and I try to teach this to the young guys on the show all the time, is I tell them all the time, I don't care if you make mistakes because you're trying. Like, I care once you start to make the same mistakes over and over again, and it's because of yeah. a lack of preparation, a lack of attention to detail, and just ignoring something over and over again, right? Like, if you're not making an adjustment to the mistakes you're making, that's when you start to go, this is a screw-up now. This is this is a bad sign. If you're just making a mistake, <laughs> who cares? That's human nature. And, in yeah. fact, my least favorite thing that the youths here do is when they make the mistake and they do, like, I'm going to beat them to death where they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, why are you being this way? Now I have to comfort you too? You not only screwed me over and made a mistake, you, I got to sit there and just coddle you and, you know, shake you and be like, you're great, you're okay, it's okay that you made the mistake. Anyways, um, but yes, imposter syndrome, you'll learn that later in life if you get good at stuff. It's a good thing because it's just you recognizing what it takes to be good at something and that once that clicks in and it's not just, oh my God, I'm crap, I make mistakes all the time, I think that's what you're talking about, where it gives you that credibility, where it lets you just sort of be free in whatever profession it is you're doing, but certainly this one. Yeah, and to, to wrap, put a bow on this, so now mm -hmm. that I've hijacked your show talking okay. about you know, what's right and wrong in, in broadcast, this. I have asked multiple play-by-play -play guys about Yarn Croak, Croc, mm. whatever, just because, like, even really they can't all agree. So I'm just, oh, I, I have, I've asked multiple times because it uh. just is one of those things that for some reason bothers me. But anyways, um, he's been good, though. He's yeah, been he great been. for the least uh, of late. So yeah. shout out to Yarncroc uh, for that. But um, anyways, continue. Austin is grinding to get him saying his own name. And he's by grinding, I mean definitely grinding because I asked him for him 10 minutes ago and he's just back there locked into the computer. So he's just, something is going on back there. Like you just search in Twitter, but, or the Leafs account, but it's, it's all right. We'll get it at some point. All right. Um, so I was saying yesterday that I really, or I wasn't saying yesterday. I was saying right now, today, last block that, see how the mistakes happen when we recover, uh, that Islanders fans, I respect them. I tip the cap. I don't think they should ever forgive John Tavares. John Tavares isn't some villain. He's not the worst guy who, who ever lived. He doesn't deserve, I guess, probably some of the hate that comes his way from online, but that's everybody. Like, that's a straw man, I think, when we do that stuff where we go, you don't know what he's been through. And I go, yes, I do, because I go through it, and I don't get paid $11 million. And I also, yeah, does John Tavares even have Twitter? <laughs> does, you think you think that guy sees anything <laughs> online? There is no... Sh does he have Twitter, Pete? Well, that's how he announced the pajama oh, photo. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. Of course. Duh. Yeah. Of course yeah, him or his people. Has he tweeted since he then? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not exactly following Tavares, and he's just tweeting, guys, this is crazy what's going on at the Capitol right now. I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's super dialed in. Either way, I love sports hate, and we don't have enough of it. And that Islanders stadium last night booing him when he's losing face-offs, or sorry, when he's winning face-offs, cheering when he's losing them, just getting really rowdy and hating the Maple Leafs and having this weird rivalry that Leaf fans forget about because we are the center of the hockey universe. Everything revolves around us, and we don't really think of ourselves as rivals with anyone other than, like, 
maybe the Battle of Ontario throwback, maybe Montreal, maybe a little bit of Boston. But then that happens, and I'm having a lot of fun. Do you think Islanders fans should ever forgive John Tavares? Because I am team, don't ever do it. Take it to your graves. No, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I love that they boo him. I love that they have chance for him. I love that they get up for the, for that game every time. Because I, to me, like that is part of why I fell in love with sports. It's the emotion. It's the passion. Like I, I cried when Cujo left the Leafs. Like when I was a kid. Like same in so a grocery upset, store. You know, and like I think that that's part of it. That you want you want your team or the people that leave your team to make you feel something. Like let's not kid ourselves. That is why we love sports they make us feel different emotions you know we ride or die with our teams so yeah i don't think islanders fans should ever forgive jt he left them he Mm. is like the like for this generation like the love of their lives that like got away chose to leave never came back and you're like still trying to make them jealous at the bar when you run into each other or something. Like, I just think it's amazing. And it's the type of game where I wish that I got a little bit more passion and intensity out of the Leafs, to be honest with you, because like, that's a game where it's like, I'm excited to watch that as a hockey fan because I feel like it can get more intense. It can get more passionate. You can feel the emotion. And that's a real opportunity, I think, for players and teams to kind of like wear their hearts on their sleeves a bit and show that they give a crap about what's going on and that they want to get the win for reasons outside of just, you know, the two points, whatever. And I know the Leafs and Islanders are in completely different situations in terms of this final stretch of the season. But I still think, like, I would have liked to see a little bit more, like, uh, oomph from the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Like, they were just lacking intensity. And it's like, yeah, the Leafs, playoff spot is not in jeopardy they're not going to fall out of a playoff spot but like they are technically still fighting for home ice something that i think matters way more for them than it does for tampa and also like you're the team that has everything to prove so like this if you can't get up for jt and like show some intensity and show that the game means something then like I don't know. I was I was a little disappointed in that, and um, I thought it was going to be a more exciting game from a Toronto standpoint as well, and it was really more just, well, I mean, it was all about the Islanders, really. Yeah, same. It's why I was actually pretty excited last night when Marner was playing really pissed off. It then resulted in a yeah. mistake, and it ended the game, essentially, which sucked, because I had one second of, I love that he's pissed off, and then he rifled one into Riley's case and went in the back of the night, and I was like, ah, this, whoops, that sucked. That was a long-lasting take that I had there that I was going to build off of but no that is one of the critiques of these star players that has lasted and I think is a real fair criticism is yeah there's been a lot of games where they just seem to not be able to hit that level of intensity and maybe it is something that comes later in their careers maybe it's something because they did get so much so soon that it isn't going to happen until things get a little bit more desperate maybe we'll see that this year because they're starting to recognize things like hmm, we're kind of hitting the middle of our primes and Matthews is a year away and Nylander's a year away. And they've at least have to be thinking about those things. Oh, our general manager could be gone. Our coach could be gone. Maybe that desperation ends up kicking in, but yeah, no, that intensity, that attention to detail in those spots, I think it matters to me too. And from the other side of it, what I think is really cool when the fans bring that kind of energy to a game and the Islanders play that way, you go, all these players always, they're, they're multimillionaires and blah, blah, blah. They live great lives. And then whenever they talk to the fans, especially in this sport, it's always, and we love our fans. They're the best fans in the National Hockey League. And you go, this is nothing. You want to give something back to the fans? Kick ass in the games where they show up and they really care. And so for yeah. an Islanders fan, if you're in that building that night and they go out there and everybody's scoring 
everybody's chipping in. They're playing super physical. There's a huge hip check. Your goalie makes massive saves. And the night you go out and spend a bunch of money to see Tavares and get that revenge, they work their bags off for you. That's how you show fans you give a crap. That's how you show them that they matter to you. And I think that that's still such an important and missed component of sports. Yeah, I don't want to lose it at all. I think it was John Tortorella a couple of years ago was like, and he was talking about the actual game, not the fans. He was like, there's not enough hate in this game. And people actually had the audacity to like rip him for it. And I'm like, what, what are we doing criticizing that comment? Like, yeah, he's, you know what? He's right. I want to see more emotion. I want to see intensity. I want teams not to like each other. Like I subscribe to that. I, and I, I will never change my opinion on it. Like I want, when the puck drops, I don't want people to be friends anymore. I want them to fight for, for, you know, whatever the logo on their sweater, I'm turning into a cliche now, but like, I think that's part of where that comment from torts comes from too, is that like, this is the essence of sports. It's the emotion. It's fighting for something. It's rooting for your team. It's, it's getting mad. It's getting excited. It's being frustrated. Like that is what for me drew me to sports was like the emotion surrounding following a team and caring about what happens. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that people want this because I saw actually the Spit and Chicklets guys getting pissed off about linesmen that are stopping fights. I go, yeah. yeah. And they show the cut to all the fans on their feet dying to see this happen, right? And in the NBA right now where everybody has been best friends forever and there's drama in the league in terms of guys not being happy in their situation, but there's rarely now hate between teams and real rivalries between teams that feel significant. Um, there's a few, but now there's Dylan Brooks, this Canadian guy who's getting in everybody's faces and talking a lot of trash. And all of a sudden the entire league knows who the, like, what does Dylan Brooks score? 16 a game on pretty inefficient scoring. Like he's not the greatest player. He's an okay defender. He's a (laughs) middle tier player in the NBA who is now known across the league. He's one of the faces of the NBA this season because he's getting beefs with people and he's showing that he cares and he's unafraid to talk trash. And so clearly people are gravitating towards this, not because they're just love, they, they just want more anger or conflict, whatever. They just want drama in their sports. They want their athletes to show that they care. And so, yeah, you have a guy in a league where most superstars are wanting to sit every second night and this guy wants to go out there, talk trash and measure himself against the game's best. People love it. So, yeah, I hope this doesn't go away. I hope they never forgive Islanders fans. And I hope some Leaf fans keep crying forever that they're like, they're so mean to our captain. It's like, he'll be okay. <laughs> He will be all yeah, relax right. Relax on that. Well, yeah. Did any of I would recommend people go watch the Amazon Prime series, not the end because it's bad, but the <laughs> middle part where it's just John Tavares in his backyard with his uncle, and he's like, "You're really great." And his uncle's like, "You're great. You play hockey." He's like, "Yeah, it's good. I like it." And it's like, I I don't know. I think he's he's fine. He's doing all right. I think that guy just wants yeah. to win hockey games. Um, how badly do you think hockey needs international sports? Do you think the World Baseball Classic puts any pressure on that because? It's, it's hard not to see yesterday and how incredible it was and how the entire world is gushing about baseball and not think mm-hmm. hockey is so freaking blowing it by not having any of these events and not being able to bring more people under the tent with what is the highest of stakes of events. I mean, I hope that it has that impact. Like, I miss best-on-best best hockey, mm-hmm. and I don't, like, World Cup, Olympics, like, to me, like, the Olympics the Olympics, like you even world cup of hockey, like that, that's fun. And I'd be excited and I'd for sure watch, but like, I want the Olympics. Yeah, no like kidding. to me, that's just, hockey it's what care. It, yeah. Well, like, I mean, if I, when I say world cup of hockey, I mean like real, like no, like 
young guns team, like real, yeah. like everyone plays for their team country. Team Europe was in the finals um, against Canada. Yeah, like I want, you know, and, and you know, I want to see Team USA versus Team Canada because I think it could be some of the the biggest competition we've seen between those two countries in a long time with the amount of talent. I mean, if you look at the NHL this year, right, like how many of the biggest individual stories have centered around American-born players? A lot of them. Like, we're talking so – like Paige Thompson, right, huge story this year, American. Jack Hughes, massive story this year, American. Like, there's so much of that in the league. I mean, Austin Matthews obviously is not having a 60-goal season this year, but he's still Austin Matthews. So, like, I, I just think I, I will always look back at this time, especially if it keeps going the way it's going and we don't actually get, you know, NHL players at the Olympics or, like, a real legit World Cup of hockey. Um I'll always look back and just like wonder what it could have been with some of the talent on both sides for Canada and the U S and Russia and Sweden. And I'll throw Finland in there too. Like, I just think it could be so good for the game and it's, it's devastating that, you know, we've been missing out on that. Yeah. Like how many years into Matthew's career are we right now? Seven, six, seven, seven. So like it's seven years and we have not seen this man in a real best on best. Nope. Devastating. Yeah, it's horrific. And and I think that's the biggest thing that has been lost. I don't care about the countries that are... Well, I do care about them because I, I wish so badly I could see Canada do their thing. I, I obviously want Finnish people to be able to see their team and Sweden, whatever. But the big loss for me in terms of growth potential for this sport was watching last night and going, man, America is a pretty big-ass country. And for a league that has cared so much about America... That has done so many yeah. things like move Canadian teams south of the border and put in salary caps and try to create parity so teams in Arizona can be as good as teams in Montreal. Well, maybe just let the American-born players go on a stage where they're going to be seen by more people that have never seen your sport before than any other place. And so, yeah, I think that yeah. when there's criticisms of Gary Bettman in which they are just mounting, which is fun because now they're even doing the Kim Jong Bettman thing, which I love. Um, they're just like, yeah, he's just taking bullet after bullet and I am watching it in just delight because yeah, he is not great for the game in my, uh, he's great for the owners, not, has not been great for the game. Uh, a couple things seem to be zagging pretty hard the other way, uh, international hockey and the fact that they haven't marketed these players very well. And yes, the, the shrinking hatred in the league, the shrinking physicality in the league, the thing that makes hockey special and stand out from other sports is going the other way. And so, yeah, hopefully it starts to zag in the other direction. Okay. Before you go, um, last time you were on, actually last time you were in the city, you got to hang out with my young Jobo. Yeah, Josiah Bosch. He was yeah. driving. You was you were the, were you the driver? Yeah, I was the runner, so I was driving them yeah, around. Yeah, you were driving them around. Yep. You know, and it was uh, it was let known that he let you in on some slang, right? <laughs> and some of uh, our fellow olds, and that yeah, Mawson was very popular amongst them. Uh, oh, Darren Tang's new favorite word is Mawson. Yeah. Like it's every time I see him, he doesn't even call me Jackie anymore. He's like, just I'm Mawson. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't give you that word, bro. But that, yeah, that's, I I say this with a lot of respect. That is the tipping point with like a real older move is when you start to overuse the word and you start to do the joke, you beat it into the ground. That is true 
fatherhood. You know, that is true motherhood. Like taking the joke into year uh-huh. five and you go, yeah. I love yeah. hearing that though. That's awesome. Yeah, of course you love hearing it. You love yourself, Joe. Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. You said, okay. Darren Tang is Seth Mawson on two separate broadcasts. That's pretty big for that's Joe. Her. That's a big moment. Yeah, yeah, that is actually the biggest yeah. moment of Joe's career. Also, you should have seen Joe. You should have seen Joe the next day at work. He was like, guys, if you ever want Darren Pang on, I could probably All get him. Right. He's like trying to <laughs> throw right. his weight around I'm the room. I'm trying to help out the show, incredible. and they're like, shut up, Joe. Guys, d- if you just want to get Darren Pang on, uh, I got Joe a got connection the digi, to him. Did Joe get the digi? Yeah, he did. He's he's a big shot now. He's a wheeler dealer. <laughs> he's always talking about all the different things that he can pull from TNT. All right. So uh, I've had the youths compile something that I'm, I have low confidence in, I got to say, because I was going to say, if there's one thing about the youths uh, is that they just never exceed my expectations. <laughs> they just always meet it with disappointment. So I've had them come up with a segment, well, that I invented called Trending. And so they will give us some things from youth culture right now that are either trending, explain them to us, uh, and we will react to these things, ask questions, or, or get to learn. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, Pete, let's start it off with you. Well, JD, one of the first trends that uh-huh. I came across, all on TikTok, obviously, because the uh-huh. we love TikTok. For now, yeah. until it's gone in like two weeks, but yeah. Yeah, it's called uh, Borgs, okay. uh, also known as Blackout Rage Gallons. Do you know what this is, Jaggy? <laughs> no, not a yeah. clue. All right, keep uh, going. It's half water and then a quarter alcohol and a quarter of Pedialyte. What kind of alcohol? Uh your choice. Okay. And it can sometimes include caffeine. Okay. And uh, it's being described as a form of wellness binge drinking. Uh, and it's what I'm all the young people are out, about. Out, out, out. Borgs? Stop talking. Yeah. Borgs. And you, you write like Borg on the thing and then you carry it around yeah. at like a party or something. And then like you that. sometimes name the Borg as well. Write Borg on it? Yes. What is, Borg it what is Borg an acronym for? Blackout Rage Gallon. Oh, right. That's yeah. it. Blackout Rage okay, Gallon. Okay, but what was... <laughs> What was the other thing What's, you said? It's described good? as well, it's the whole thing. described as a Sorry. wellness something. What is it? What is it? Well, because there's Pedialyte in water, right? So I think you're the getting your electrolytes here, while also drinking. Yeah. Except for here's the thing about this, you stupid youths, you complete <laughs> idiots. Hey, I'm out one, on this too. I never. One is this. that so when you drink alcohol, there is a chemical in your brain called vasopressin that gets released. And this vasopressin basically tells your body, we got to get rid of everything in here. There's poison coming in. And so that's why you pee so much or you drink it. It's not because you're drinking so much. It's like your whole body is like squeezing out every little drop yeah. of water. You're, hmm. you're counteracting that with the alcohol. You're not like you can drink water later before bed, but you still wake up with a hangover. You're like, why does this happen? It's because your body's still going through that process. It doesn't happen. It doesn't stop for a little while. It's actually why you're, you get the headache, right? It's because there's so much water that's being squeezed out of your brain that your head the next day is like, what is happening to me? Why do I feel so dehydrated? So no, all you're going to do is <laughs> piss more. That's all you're doing. You just, all you've done is create big piss booze jugs. Like, way to go, you idiots. What's next? So a big form of entertainment that's been going around also mm-hmm. on TikTok, but it's been pretty big on YouTube as well, is people will have these platforms that create AI voices from celebrities, and then yeah. they'll play, like, video games. Okay. And the most common one is U.S. presidents. Yeah. And they put, like, Biden, Trump, Obama, and Bush together, and they, like, play Minecraft. And these videos get, like, millions of views. And it's like... the weird form of entertainment but it's just like presidents talking about stuff and for some reason it's big what i love about this is that (laughs) a lot of presidents i know not recently have been some of the smartest 
humans in North America. Recently, tough stretch. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a bit of a tough run right now. Basically, basically since Jackie left, (laughs) straight off has been like (laughs) in the toilet. But that you guys would never want to go back and say, read old Abraham Lincoln speeches or, Mm -hmm. you know, listen to FDR talk. You guys would go, no, this is not for me. What I want is video game Biden talking to video game Trump. It's like smart people talking about (laughs) dumb things. Good stuff. <laughs> Jackie, yeah. any interest? No, I'm not interested, but I think that um, I'm not at all surprised that politics yeah. as entertainment is a thing online, obviously. Mm. But is it politics? Politics are a joke. Is well, it? I don't know. I guess it's like poking light at them, yeah. right? But it's just their Unless voices talking about... Unless I misunderstand the concept. Yeah, it's just their voices talking about like Fortnite, let's say, right? Yeah, Fortnite, Minecraft, whatever. Minecraft, Minecraft. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like we're just taking the people that run countries and making them a joke, which essentially, is yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's good. I actually got. Yeah. I got to tell so you, I get it. I saw this thing. I get it. I saw this thing yesterday online. It was AI artist makes thing of Trump getting arrested. Uh, those are pretty popular too. Yeah, yeah. and so it's there's a ton realistic. of these things happening right now. I yeah. first saw them where it was AI turns. Uh, Family Guy characters into real life people, yeah. right? Like I've seen a bunch of those things. That actually spooks me a little bit of how close we are to just not knowing what is real and yeah. what is fake. That's any about of the, the voices, because if you don't yeah. know, it's like I, could, I, yeah. I can see how people would be really fooled. But by there's that. still a little glitchy, right? Like, yes, there's they are. still they a are. little glitchy. You look at the AI art, and it still doesn't look like real mm-hmm. people. There's just something off. I think it's the eyes. It's, it's are, developed so fast that yeah. it's like whoa. But it's just so it's years. right there that I I am I'm super creeped out. You guys know how <laughs> how creeped out I am. About we, we AI. Know, that's why I brought it up because I, I know. know your feelings yeah, on AI. I'm, I'm too spooked. What's next? You have any more? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have one more or two more, I guess. Okay, but, one more. Well, the one Pick was Selena Gomez, Haley Bieber. Beef. I actually know a sneaky mo- a lot of mouth about this. <laughs> From Pete showing up no. on your algorithm? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I, I followed it. I thought that, Jackie, listen. do you know about this? Oh, buddy. Okay. Listen, I have spent way more time than I would like to admit yeah. watching TikToks giving yeah. me information about <laughs> this beef that okay. may or may not even be real that I already know the information they're going to give me because I've already seen everyone talk about it. And yet I'm just like, I'm listening. I am absolutely still listening to the information I've already received a thousand times on my TikTok page. I don't know why I care about it. I'm embarrassed that I care about it, but like team Selena all the way. Team Selena. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Team Selena. I would never do that. Not me. Not me. Not me. What are you? You You don't know know enough about the story, Katie. Yeah, I know everything about the story. You think I don't know? I saw uh, one slide. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Okay. So, so all I'll say is this about why I know. I know enough about I thought the song was Selena Gomez wrote that song. For like days. You know uh, what I'm talking about? Every single thing that's associated with this beef, there's that mm-hmm. song that like will play under everything. You'll yeah. always be a fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, sure. Jackie, yeah. you know it's, what I'm talking it's about? It's the theme song of the beef, essentially. Yes, the yeah. theme song yeah. to the beef. Someone wrote a theme song to the beef. I thought Selena Gomez did that. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> damn. That is wow. a... That is a Dagger. That's hit him up. But for 2023, I can't believe it. This is incredible. And then I learned it wasn't her. And now I'm fully, first of all, I'm loyal to the Beeps. All right. Whoever the Beeps has spoken and the Beeps is the Beeps. And I don't buy any of that. She's covering up the tattoo stuff. I don't believe that she's insecure. She's living her best life with him. The Baldwins have been through enough this last couple of years. Have you Here's seen her? Here's the thing. Yeah. 
here's the thing. It's not about like I'm 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 listen. I'm I'm t- I love Justin Bieber. Oh, don't backtrack it. You just said to the I'm Team Celine. You shouted it from the rooftop. Yeah. Okay. I have seen him in concert multiple times. Okay. I love Justin Bieber. I'm glad he's happy. I don't have anything against their marriage or Haley Bieber. What mm-hmm. the reason I say Team Selena is because it's very evident that Haley and her circle of friends are mm-hmm. like passive aggressively bullying Selena. And I am anti bully. I think it's ridiculous. That's why I'm Team Selena. Nothing yeah. I don't think Selena should like be with Bieber or Haley shouldn't. I don't give a crap about that. I just mm-hmm. care about the very obvious uh clicky bullying Mingles. stuff that's happening to it seems to me that Haley is the one that's getting bullied from my vantage point. The whole song is about how she'll always be a fan and she's a loser and that he's with the wrong girl and everybody's team Selena. How is that not bullying of Haley? What does she do? She's clicky. Like, you don't know that. You don't know that. You're not behind the scenes. The internet is the bully. The internet is the bully. And the internet is clearly ganging up on my boy Beebs' girl. And that sweet... Young man who has dealt with a lot this year, whether it was his <laughs> half, what did he, what did he like, forget uh, what the condition the is called. He's had to call yeah. up his tour. He's missed in Toronto. He's just rooting for his t- sweet Toronto Maple Leafs to come through here. His father-in-law is like, I don't know, go to jail. He shot somebody. It's not great. Uh, <laughs> oh, so yeah. He's just hoping, hey, maybe I could have a day of peace. I'm just uh, having a day of peace. And the whole internet's like, you are an arranged marriage and you're with the wrong girl. And she's a copycat of the true Queen Selena. Poor Haley Baldwin. Poor Justin Bieber. I'm on the right side of history of this. I just want to say the rest of you, you're on record. You're, team Selena, you're Team Bully Jackie. You, I'm, I'm on you, Team Nobody. Yeah. You're, no, so you're, <laughs> ignoring a very, you're, you're ignoring a very important fact of which how is? this all started, which was Kylie Jenner and Haley Baldwin yeah, posting actual... Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, making a post, poking fun at Selena Gomez. There's no other explanation for the post. Anyways, I'm not going to get into it because it's like we're all embarrassing ourselves on radio right now. I'm Um, I'm fine with this. What I will say is that I hope that we get, like, I look forward every year for, you know, seven games, seeing Justin Bieber post about the Leafs and watching them in the playoffs. I hope we get more than seven games this year because I enjoy the content. Mm. I enjoy the content of him and Haley watching the the Leafs do their thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he house. is the queen in the Beaver household. Yeah. That is because that cannot. Right. They're be very in love. We, they uh, went from being the love story to everyone going against them. So rude. So harsh. Queens. And Pete. So rude. <laughs> yeah. I do want to. I do want to make sure I get one more thing in here. Yeah. And this is a total swerve. It has nothing to do with the Beavers. I listened to Leafs talk last night. Yeah. And I gotta say, I gotta say, if we're picking sides here on things, uh-huh. you and Sammy McKee got pretty heated comparing the Leafs to the Bolts and, like, who, how much faith you have in flipping in those teams' ability to flip the switch. And I think Sam, Sammy McKee said that it's the same. Like, you can, it's the very similar situation. Asinine comment. I know. It is not at all the same. Like, the Tampa Bay Lightning are sucking right now, but I believe that they can flip the switch in the postseason because they have done it before. Yeah. And they've been to multiple finals even before they won, multiple conference finals. Like, yeah, I do have more faith in that. This Leafs team is not the same at all. And I say that as someone that thinks they're going to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. But I just could not believe that you guys were debating whether or not you could compare the two teams. You can never compare them. They're yeah. com- one has accomplished everything. The other has accomplished actually nothing. Listen, <laughs> I can predict Sammy's every move because he is just a weather vane. Like, he's he's not committed to any take or any opinion other than he, like, gets hard in on some players and sticks with them forever. I love my boy. 
but he just wanted to zag last night. He was going on vacation and he just decided I'm going to go contrarian here, which is kind of his dice move where he's like, I'm going to go contrarian. That's fine. He went with the contrarian position. He got put in a body bag by me. And now he has to go on vacation, not having given his opinion on the Leafs for like a week and a half or whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a tough way for him to go out knowing having being exposed like that to the entire world uh, that watches Leafs talk. Subscribe and review. Jackie Redman, you're the best. Thanks for doing this. We will have you sooner rather than later. Thanks for coming on. I hope so. And I'm going out on this. Since February 1st, the Leafs have the 13th best points percentage in the NHL. So mm. I just think about that for a minute. 13. Yeah. Anyway, Yuck. see ya. <laughs> see ya, Jackie. Jackie Redman, NHL Network, WWE, and HL on TNT. Quick break. I need to at least share a thought on last night's World Baseball Classic. And again, I'll blow that out more tomorrow with Ennis. Quick break. We'll be back and do that. Sportsnet 590, the fan. I said it. Got to talk about the biggest sporting event on planet Earth yesterday. Mm-hmm. World Baseball Classic finale. Kind of sucked that I didn't get to watch the whole game. I had to watch the Leafs. I really would have given it more attention if I wasn't doing Leafs talk, but I was dialed in and, yeah, watching the game. And Mm -hmm. I was feeling a tad bit resentful when the Leafs gave up the seventh goal. (laughs) I went, it's really cool. Only after the seventh. Watching on Twitter, Trey Turner. Going, yeah. (laughs) Would have liked to have been a part of this. But did wrap up in time. I did record it. Um, So I went back just a little to watch some of the highlights. I basically fast-forwarded through a couple of innings just to get the gist Mm -hmm. of some of the game. But then I, I caught the end live, which was perfect, right? Yeah. And the U.S. gets their first runner on in the ninth inning. And you go, holy crap, here we go. Yeah. Shohei Otani on the mound Walked against him. the lineup that everyone says is the greatest ever assembled. The greatest pitcher in the game against the greatest lineup ever assembled. What drama. What incredibly fortuitous sports beauty. Yeah. This moment was Mookie Betts hits into a double play. Mm-hmm. Game feels like it's about to be over. But then the quote unquote best player of his generation, not to me, Mike <laughs> Trout steps to the dish in what will go down probably as the most significant moment of his Major League Baseball career, barring him leaving in his late 30s and finding a way to stay. Relevant as an older baseball player for a different team yeah. or maybe the, Angels, maybe the Angels do it. Maybe he asked for a trade, but I, I just don't see it. Like, I think he's going to be an angel for life. And I think he's going to go down as, yeah, one of North American sports' greatest losers, just in, from the standpoint of people will always pump to his numbers and they'll say baseball is not a team sport. But I, I don't know how you can say that you're the greatest player of a generation when you played no meaningful games. Like, I just, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not as big on ring culture as I think other people are. Mm-hmm. I do think what you do in regular seasons matter. Yeah. Um, I think that longevity and statistics and dominance, especially the gap between you and your peers in the era, mm-hmm. that is what matters the most to me. But for Mike Trout, I think that his career, when we look back on it, it's going to be one where there's a real feeling of disappointment because of a lack of moments. And last night he had one. Yeah. His teammate Shohei Otani and him, two guys staring each other down. And the joke has been made the last couple of years about Trout by the Trout haters, such as myself. And we go, he's not even the best player on his own team. And he hasn't <laughs> been since Shohei showed up. Yeah. And Shohei strikes him out. Yeah. Throws absolute Swinging. filth. I'd rather go down swinging, though. 
There's yeah. a reason why that is a saying, and it's not go down looking. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> go down looking. Good for Mike Trout for at least taking a hack. But I went, there goes Mike Trout in the most meaningful moment of his life, in the most, not meaningful moment of his life, sorry, but his most meaningful moment in his sporting life. Yeah. And I'm sure ha- having his life, what's, what's Mike Trout's contract? 300 million? Oh, a lot of money. I think it's upwards yeah. of 300. It's more? More than 300 million? I'm sure Mike Trout, knowing that he was at the very top of the top when it comes to baseball players ever, making that type of cash, he's all right. 12 years, 426 million. Right. 426 million. That's pretty good. Rounded up to half a billion. That's not his Danny Meals. Yeah. He's all right. (laughs) He's doing okay. When you're accomplished as he is, when you're as rich as he is, of course, the natural inclination is to think that he'll be fine, and I know we do that a little bit too much sometimes, that there is there is more difficult stuff. But, boy, for Mike Trout to not win anything as that top-end guy, as a competitor that forced and willed his way to that position in life, it's got to be really hard. Yeah. And I, I do wonder, heading into Angels camp, and or Angels camp, into the Angels regular season, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're buddies and that I'm overstating this and overdoing this, but seeing the guy... <laughs> who, if he stays, represents the best chance you have at winning Yeah, because he's the best player on the planet right now, Shohei Otani. He's the number yes. one superstar. Also, what a moment for baseball just in terms of being able to launch Shohei Otani's mm-hmm. career into a different stratosphere because a lot of us don't get to watch Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. We wait until 10 o'clock at night. He comes to your city every once in a while. Maybe he's pitching, but probably he's not because you got a... Uh, well, actually, no. If you're getting three game sets, you're getting a, more likely than not he's pitching. But mm-hmm. even still... Sometimes he may not pitch. He, he might not. Online. You got to be able to afford it. You got to be able to go. You got to have that lineup with your schedule, whatever. You're not very likely not seeing Shohei Otani very much if you're living on the East Coast. You got a chance to see him. Huge moment for him. Huge moment for baseball. For, for Mike Trout, boy, it just must be pretty tough having to head to the end of Angels spring training and mm-hmm. heading into the regular season knowing that Shohei might want to leave you, <laughs> might want to go play somewhere else, might even want to stay in California and go to the Dodgers, mm-hmm. right? might abandon your hopes of building a winner over the next couple of years, the end of your prime. I think Mike Trout's 32 years old and he's turning 33 this year or he's 31, 30, 32. 31. He's 31? Okay. So he's 31, turning 32. He's probably already peaked as a baseball player. Hurts for me to say this as a fellow (laughs) 30-year-older in his 30s, man. Uh, as that, that this is likely the end of him being the greatest version of himself. And I think that those numbers are pretty well reflected, but here's the other part of the equation. Mike Trout, this was the theme of the day. You're talking about Lewis Hamilton getting older and his body wearing down and how impressive it is for Alonzo to be doing this and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. When urgency shows up, Mike Trout has played 53 games. All right. Pandemic season, 36 games. Yeah. And 119 games. It's a lot of missed games. Yeah. He's starting to wear down a little bit. He's starting to wear down. He's still putting up numbers. He's still one of the game's best players. Yep. No doubt about it. I'm sure he will be for the next couple of years. 
But are the Angels going to be able to match up a timeline with him, and will he just be staying there? So watching Shohei leave, watching Shohei have bragging rights, watching Shohei on the ascension Mm -hmm. of becoming the game's greatest player, knowing that he might leave you, stealing that moment from you, or not stealing, taking, taking willfully that moment from you. Forcefully taking that moment That's just a big spot for Mike Trout. Anyway, it's huge for baseball. I'm going to talk a lot about this tomorrow on Good Hour with Ennis, Mm -hmm. just about what I mentioned a couple of days ago, that this really did feel like a moment for the sport. Yes. Way to go, baseball. All of a sudden, Manfred, the career arc of Rob Manfred. (laughs) Well, this month has been insane. Wow. (laughs) Insane. What an arc. (laughs) We had Manfred six feet under. (laughs) We were saying, this guy's the worst. And now all of a sudden, if we did commissioner power rankings, which we might be doing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. hmm, Good case that he's right now very, he's jumped up to the very top. Really? Number one? Manfred, baseball, everybody, they are crushing it. Shohei Otani doing that, everybody took notice. How often does baseball trend on Twitter in your guys' realities? Like, Really only a World Series, No, you guys don't moments. even watch baseball. When I hired you guys, you were like, <laughs> I was like, do you guys watch baseball? And you're looking at the ground, you're starting to kick dirt, and you're like, oh, you'll figure it out. Going, okay. Guess what? You joined at the right time. Baseball's taking off. Baseball stock is going up. The youth might be getting into baseball. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. Share it on Twitter. Thanks to everybody that shared the Haberstroke clip yesterday. Not to none of those places that didn't uh, put my name on things. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. Good hour. Craig Simpson. Tons of good stuff. Make sure that.